Welcome everyone to the second episode in the Agilent podcast series. Like most companies, at Agilent we're often asked about who we are and what we stand for. These podcasts address who we are as a business, the values and themes close to our hearts and to the hearts of our customers. In each of our podcast episodes, we investigate a specific theme with the help of three experts. In this episode, our theme is space. From the great expanse beyond our planet, right through to the space we inhabit and the environments we work in. What does space mean to us? And how can we use it to help us achieve our fullest potential? Specifically, we will look at how the study of outer space can help build our understanding of things that exist within the space we inhabit and how the space that surrounds us has the ability to influence our well-being and creative energy. We will also explore the idea of space as a commodity which must be used cleverly. With such a big theme, I wanted to start with an expert on the big picture. The biggest picture possible, in fact. My name is Giovanni Prodi. I'm a professor at the University of Trento in the Department of Physics. And uh, my research group is uh, focusing on the data analysis of uh, uh, gravitational wave detectors on Earth, uh, in particular the Virgo detector, close to PISA, and the two LIGO scientific collaboration detectors in the U.S. I started by asking Professor Prodi, someone whose work looks into the furthest reaches of outer space, what the word space meant to him. Well, to me, of course, as a human being, the word space brings uh, quite diverse words, as home, exploration, uh, and these words carry a great emotional impact. And on the other side, as a a scientist, I think about space as a a measurement of distance and time. Time and space are intimately related. And the most important thing for us as scientists are the the guiding questions. Uh, In particular, how does space-time work? Uh, And more deeply, maybe, what is ruling space-time? So what are gravitational waves, and why is their detection so significant? Gravitational waves are one of the most inventive predictions of Albert Einstein's theory of gravitation. They are extreme consequences of uh, the nature of gravity, and they enlighten the close relationship with uh, the structure of the space-times which surround us. And what do you think is the most exciting observation we've made due to the detection of gravitational waves? One important feature of these uh, sound of space-time, the gravitational waves, is that these waves travel almost unaffected by what we are encountering in the past. So they can bring information from very, very distant phenomena. For sure, to me, the most exciting discovery in 2017 has been the discovery of of the gravitational waves from the two colliding neutron stars, because this opened to the chance of uh, observing nature forging uh, heavier elements, uh, heavier than iron, for instance, uh, silver, copper, gold, platinum, palladium, elements which are incredibly precious for our technology on Earth. The study of space is so fascinating in its own right. 
but also so important for enhancing our understanding of things that exist within the immediate space we inhabit on Earth. Professor Prodi, why do you think the study of outer space is important for humankind today? One of the most impressive uh, uh, advances in the last half a century was to see the image of Earth from space taken by astronauts. Uh, so th this is immediately uh, transmitting the sense that we are living in a spaceship which is traveling in space. And so this should give us uh, awareness uh, of how, how fragile is our planet and how careful we should be in, in planning our future. Professor Prodi's words struck a chord with me. It seems to me that the space our planet occupies at a cosmic level can inspire us to focus on what's most important in the spaces around us, including the spaces we live and work in every day. So my next meeting was with someone whose interest in space was a bit more down to earth. Hello, my name is Dan Watch. I'm a principal and partner at Perkins & Will. We're one of the largest architectural firms in the world, and I focus on the design of a wide range of research buildings. I started by asking Dan about how scientific discovery can be encouraged through the design of workspace and what trends he's seeing in his own work. We are designing our buildings to deliberately influence our well-being and our creative energy. We are definitely pushing healthy buildings now. Some of the things that we are implementing are stairs that we are used throughout the daytime as we're doing our work. Having windows with great views to the exterior which helps the, the mindset and the building performance. Also, we're pushing for plants inside our spaces to absorb the CO2 and to provide more oxygen, which then helps our brain to perform at a much higher level, which a Harvard study uh, proved about two years ago. We're also always building with non-toxic materials, and we're promoting wood construction and laboratory design today, which is uh, much healthier, much more renewable and sustainable than steel or concrete. Does that mean that buildings are becoming more expensive to build and to design? That definitely does not cost more money. Uh, for healthy buildings, technology has gotten much more affordable and better. The same with healthy building design. It's not a cost issue. It's an educational process. If you were to design the perfect research lab, what would be the three things that you would do and why? I definitely would want to make sure the building's highly adaptable which means it's more than flexible, so you can actually change a different type of program spaces in a building, so it can be an office or a lab and so on. Uh, definitely try to keep up with the latest technology for 3D modeling and working in the cloud. That's um, prevalent now. Five years ago, I was talking about making sure the computers were all organized in the labs. Now that's no longer needed, which goes to my third point. I would definitely minimize the amount of walls in a research building today, which is dramatically different than it was 10, 20 years ago, where there would be more walls and people were, researchers were more focused on how much space they got. Now they're focused on what equipment they can work with and how they share it with others. In your personal opinion, Dan, what has been the most significant space innovation? For me personally, uh, creating high bay uh, labs that are two and three stories and surrounding the volume space to encourage people to collaborate more on multiple floors at the same time is very exciting and also when I talk to the researchers when they're working in those spaces they're very happy they can talk much easier to each other they can see what's going on much faster 
They can also use the Vine space to set up their equipment three-dimensionally so they can go higher, they can do more research in Vine space. It is very exciting, and it is important for us whenever we can to support research that can ideally accelerate the discoveries out there in the marketplace. We touched on this earlier when you were describing your ideal research lab. So I'd just like to go into this a bit further. How important is equipment and the use of equipment in the modern lab? Equipment is smaller, faster, and more efficient today than it has ever been. A couple days ago, I had a meeting with the dean at Georgia Tech, and he shared with me that the new researchers that he is hiring are more focused by far on what equipment they have there to work with than they are with their amount of space or even an office. I think equipment, quite frankly, may be the most critical issue today in research. Dan's belief that equipment was so important to modern lab research brought my thoughts closer to home, to the equipment we make at Agilent and also the research and development labs that we work in. So for my third conversation, I decided to look within our own walls for an expert on the use of space in Agilent instrument design. Hello, my name is Shane Tickey. I am the LCMS single and triple quad R&D manager at Agilent Technologies. As a key decision maker in the way Agilent influences research space through its own products, I asked Shane the same question I asked Professor Prodi earlier. What does the word space mean to him? Whenever I hear the word space, I immediately think how we are running out of usable space. Most academic institutions, as an example, are finding that they do not have enough classroom and teaching lab space. Expensive, competitive real estate markets are making life science companies look carefully when evaluating the real estate options and forcing them to downsize laboratories. Nearly all scientists have worked in cramped laboratories full of equipment at some point in time in their career. Overcrowded labs are typically cluttered, loud, lacking needed analytical equipment due to absent space. Further, instrument maintenance is always challenging as it's difficult to get to the problem without rearranging multiple items in the lab. I've seen instruments stacked one on top of each other where you've had to shut down three instruments to service the one instrument that actually had the problem, and that obviously leads to lack of productivity. So when I think of a lab, Shane, I think of a crowded, noisy space that's warm, mainly without windows. How do you think that the lab operatives cope with that kind of environment? The dark, no-window lab space was the space that I utilized in graduate school. It was very gloomy. Today's lab space is wanting to be more open, more windows, more visible to what's going on around in, in the environment. Also, to have more workspace within the lab. We have five or six graduate students in a a size of about a closet, trying to make their measurements. We get frustrated with one another. You work in R&D and you've been pivotal in the design of the new Ultivo system. So how much did you take lab space into account when you were designing Ultivo? Five years ago, as an example, if someone would ask me, Do you take lab space into account when you design instruments? I would have said absolutely not. Make the instrument as big as it needs to be to have the highest analytical performance. Today, on the other hand, it's an absolute must. 
multiple customers have visited us here at Agilent saying that you need to significantly make smaller instruments. However, do not sacrifice an instrument performance when you do that. Is that a challenge? I mean, it sounds pretty easy, doesn't it, for a customer to come in and say, reduce the footprint, <sighs> but do not sacrifice any analytical performance. And that, that sounds simple. What, what's that like in reality? It's very challenging to make the instrument significantly smaller and keep the analytical performance. So my own, my own example with the physical space and having a significant impact on the design of the instrument is the novel Altivo LCMS triple quad mass spectrometer. I challenge my team to design the smallest LCMS triple quad in the industry that also has better analytical performance compared to an instrument three times its size. Was there any time over the three years when you were developing Altivo that you thought this is just impossible? There was one time in particular that I remember that we were thinking that this is just too impossible. We were manufacturing a particular part and we had been working on it for over a year. And I was one day away from saying, it, we just can't do this. I mean, it was 24 hours away from being shut down. Good grief. I bet that was a nervous time for everyone. Very. I was worried about how I was going to speak to senior management. My team was worried what we would work on next. Um, but we had a we had a very insightful breakthrough. That's really a, a good story also about how impactful space actually is because there was no time during this project when you thought we're going to have to sacrifice the footprint to get the analytical capability. Correct. Does the clever use of space in instrument design always involve reducing the size of the instrument? No, it doesn't always involve reducing the size of the instrument. It's about the user interaction. We might make screens or buttons larger. It's wasted space, volume without purpose, that is bad. But making the space for the user interaction with the science through our instrument is always a plus. Through speaking with Shane Tiki, Dan Watch and Professor Prodi, I'd gained a greater appreciation of how important the space we occupy is to us at every scale and what a premium that space is at today. So it was great to hear from Shane about Agilent's dedication to delivering products that help our customers make the most of that space. If our hard work can improve the hard work of others, then everyone's winning. That's all for this edition of our podcast. Next time, we'll be looking at the theme of innovation. So stay tuned. <laughs>